body image. She works with one-to-one clients and does workshops and empowers those to feel well from the inside out. Uh, She works with Beat, she's an ambassador and is a mental health trainer for mine. So two charities that are very close to my heart. And um, yeah, I think that's an all right enough introduction, do you think, Laura? Definitely, you've done some some solid research there. (laughs) Thank you so much, firstly, for taking the time to come on. Yeah, I know you must be busy. Excited to be here. We um we're both currently uh, feet away from puppies. Well, yeah. I'm feet foot away from puppy. You're yeah. foot from a four year old, but uh, yeah. hopefully we'll get through. I'm more worried about mine than yours because uh, Belle just looks really chilled. Well, if it all goes, God help us. But hopefully that's not. <laughs> But forgive her, she's all over my Instagram, she is cute. Yeah, so this this week, what I really wanted to talk about, because it's coming up to Christmas, is talking about eating disorders and how we can work with people, how we can get support if we need it. But, but before we kind of dive into that, tell me a little bit about you and, you know, your story. So the main reason I got into this work, like I'm sure so many people who you know can relate in the work or who are listening is because of my own um suffering with an eating disorder when I was 13 14 so very 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 long time ago now and you know me and Em were just saying that back then there wasn't the same resources or access or even knowledge about eating disorders and my first experience of what an eating disorder was outside of what was happening to me was someone on Big Brother that year which sounds bonkers but like that's how little it was spoken about and you know I was pretty much still a child so I developed an eating disorder pretty much out of what I would call a healthy eating obsession now having gone through my years of training as a professional and working with clients I understand that it's much more layered and complex than that lots of different factors would have contributed to it but essentially I developed anorexia nervosa and yeah from a very young age it it kind of just got hold of me out of nowhere it feels like a felt like a spiral um which I know for for those who have also had eating disorders or in the midst of one probably feels quite similar it kind of takes hold of you out of nowhere and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that you know we live in a world where we are encouraged to control what we eat and be unhappy with the way we look so an eating disorder feels like it makes a lot of sense to a person. It's very easy to mistake um, looking after yourself and being healthy, um, actually when it's an obsession that's going on. Um, so yeah, for me, it, it got you know got a lot worse before it got better. I got to a very, very low point, weight, but also mentally, which is really important because not everyone's weight is affected when they have an eating disorder. And um, I was threatened to be sectioned and you know go inpatient, et cetera. And somehow miraculously, 
that seemed to be enough to make me engage with the kind of outpatient treatment I was having, the therapy, the dietitian, the kind of family therapy. And it was also a trip to Ireland that year, which is where my family are from. And I'm going back for Christmas, actually. Um, and it was this kind of... <laughs> This, this moment of realisation that what was happening was really, really quite wrong. As I said, there was no little to no information at that time. So when doctors and people were sitting me down, broaching the subject of what was going on, you know, I'm pretty sure I had to Google it to even understand. You know, I literally thought there was nothing wrong with me. I thought this is normal. Um, and it wasn't until I went over to Ireland, saw people I hadn't saw in a year or so. Some people didn't recognize me. They'd walk in and out of the room wondering where I was. Um, my little cousin at the time, God bless her. Um, she's 18 now. But I remember her saying to me, um, you know, really, uh, please eat something, you know. And she was about three or four at the time. And I think I started to notice that this couldn't be a made up thing that was happening. There was something wrong. And I remember feeling so low at one point around my 14th birthday and thinking, you know, this could potentially kill me. But that feels a little bit less scary than having to change and recover. And that was my turning point. That was the point where I thought to myself, oh my goodness, you are just 14 years old. How on earth has this happened? You know, what, what has the last year been when you've you know, been dropping out of school and not seeing your friends and cold all the time and obviously, obviously very hungry. So from there kind of was like a year-long overnight process in the sense of that was the first step and anyone who can relate you knows that the first step is getting out of that denial and admitting there's a problem um engaging with the therapy that I had been having for the past few months it's very easy to lie and ignore but you do have to make a choice in recovery to want to accept the help being given um slowly and surely started to improve mentally physically the mental battle, as I'm sure you can resonate with, is far longer than the physical battle. Um, you know, as, as soon as you kind of hit a healthy weight, if you've been underweight, there's a sense of, oh, they're better now. But, you know, eating disorders are, are not like that at all, unfortunately. The mental work takes way, way longer. Um, so I continued, you know, kind of battling away, had therapy for a good few years after, had really highs and real lows. You know, I had periods of things like self-harming, um, real big bouts of kind of frustration and lowness and drinking and other things. And it probably wasn't until really I was graduating from university. So I went to university and I managed to go there and kind of deal with it. But during that time, you know, I lost one of my grandparents who I was incredibly close to um, and I had to come here to work. And, you know, I do remember thinking back and thinking, God, I was so young. I was 18 and I didn't enjoy it as much as I, I should have. You know, I was so uptight and worried about my body and what I was eating. It wasn't until I was about 19. I lived away in Berlin for a month on an internship. That was a real big turning point. I'm a big advocate of traveling as part of the process. I think it does wonders for that change in routine and perspective. And then when I finished uni, um, after working for a few months and getting the money together, I went traveling to South America and the US for five months. And that was probably my biggest turning point. And while I was there, I wrote a big list. And on that list was to um, volunteer for BEAT, um, who I'm now an ambassador for after five years. It was to, at the time, funnily enough, was to do some sort of um, exercise course, which was going to be yoga or boxing, because boxing had helped me manage my kind of crappy emotions a lot. Um, ended up being boxing. And 
that wasn't my full-time job. I also worked as a well-being mentor in schools. I started working with Beat. Um, and I think it was the work with Beat that really made me think, oh my goodness, there's something really powerful about this. I never had anyone to share their story with me or tell me that it was going to be okay. And suddenly I was able to do that through the media, through mentoring online, which I did with them, through talks. And so after a couple of years, while still working in the schools, I decided to go and get my professional training as an eating disorder specialist. Um, because, you know, anecdotally, it wasn't enough to kind of take me through that and help people. So as I was working in the schools, I built up my training um, as a therapist and a coach um, in CBT, body image, um, lots of kind of different multidisciplinary um, qualifications. So I work in quite a merged way. I really like to think about, you know, we need to do the groundwork, but I want people to always feel like they're moving forward when it comes to their eating disorder, to see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, to think about what they can look forward to in their future. You know, it's not all about staying stuck in the past and in that kind of trauma. So in a nutshell, that's kind of where I led me to where I am now. So after I'd done all that, I went and got an interview in, in Harley Street and I have a clinic there now once a week. I do a lot of Skype clients. I still volunteer with Beat. Um, I do a lot more talks and events and workshops. I've just developed an online program, Redefine and Recovered You, which is a three-month um, kind of coaching program with live calls, Facebook group, weekly tasks, challenges for those who are kind of later down the line of recovery who really want to cement those last pieces of the puzzle and just live a really awesome life free from disordered eating and feeling bad about their bodies. And I'm also a dog mum and that's kind of where I am now in a big nutshell. <laughs> I love the nutshell. That is a good nutshell. <laughs> big nutshell. Um, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. And I think that everything you've done, which has led you to where you are today is just really inspiring. And, you know, you, you are in the position where you can now help people kind of en masse, which is incredible. So how old are you now? I'm 27. Okay, 27. I yeah, I still say I'm 26. I still say I'm 25 <laughs> and I'm going to be 29 next year. So <laughs> you look so youthful. I, just, I got no makeup on this way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's just so much to unpack and I could actually talk to you all day about eating disorders and, and recovery and all, all the different types. Um, but I think for this episode, I'd really like to focus on kind of Christmas um, because it is a really big, um fear point when it comes to eating disorders and i remember when i was 21 i had just come out of hospital i was i started off as an anorexic and then i um transitioned into being bulimic and mm. i was bulimic for many many years sure. and it was the bulimia that almost kind of ended my life really because of my low potassium levels and my body was basically just giving up but I was sent to the Priory uh, in November when I was 21 and I was released just before Christmas. Sure. And it was my second year, I think, of actually being an, an outpatient over Christmas time. And I remember the fear of it and 
thinking, how am I going to be normal for this one day? Like, how am I going to pretend? Am I going to be able to deal with it? You know, I've only just felt like I have got a handle on my eating disorder. I mean, you know, the typical, I think I'm in control of it. How, how am I going to pretend for, for an entire 24 hours and do what everyone else does? Um, so I know there's a lot of fear about it. So I think it would be really good for us to kind of maybe talk about the tips that we w- that you would talk to your clients about on how to deal with maybe Christmas and the festive period if you're suffering with an eating disorder. Yeah, it's, it's, you're so right. It's such a difficult time of year. And I was about four months into my recovery at that point. Um, but I remember actually at the time, I think I could only manage to eat dinner with sort of my mum and that was it. Um, it's really hard. And I, I think one of the main reasons, and I still talk about this now, is Christmas in general can be difficult because it's, we kind of go through this month of massive abundance of giving and spending and eating and drinking and seeing people and and everything is really kind of go 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 and as much as it could be you know a really joyous time of year and wonderful that can be really stressful for anyone no mind if you're dealing with an eating disorder or you're in recovery it's a really tough time to then get to January and everything is very like diet centric let's rein the cash in let's rein this the social life in and yeah let's get back into work it's quite a turbulent time for us mentally and my kind of motto this year has just been to kind of really take it down a notch I haven't gone wild I've said no to a lot of events and a lot of things like that because of just it was just too much I do find it quite overwhelming and if you are struggling with eating disorder I couldn't you know my clients it's a really tough 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 time of year and I've actually been doing a 12 days of feel and work Christmas email on all of these and one of the first places I guess I would start um is like you know whether this is now when you're listening or going into Christmas next year is really just thinking realistically about everything that's going on around you and you know whether you've got a million things in the diary or just a few things or some family events really try and be realistic with yourself about what you can do you know it's okay to say no it's okay to set boundaries it's okay to not commit to things that you think, you think are going to make you super uncomfortable. Um, you know, I'm not talking about missing your family dinner on Christmas Day or anything like that. If that's what, you know, brings you joy, everyone's in very different positions. But I would really just encourage you to kind of take it down a notch and just give yourself that space and time and patience. Otherwise, that overwhelm can get really, really high. Mm. Really, yeah. Really I think there's such an expectation as well. You know, you've got to be really happy at Christmas. Yeah. You've got to be, and I mean, I'm I'm not ashamed to say this year, I've like the last m- month or so, I've really struggled with kind of my mental health. I've I've come off my medication for anxiety for the first time in eight years, and um, it's it's been hard, you know. And and I I'm talking to my husband a lot about it, and. You know, I'm, I'm talking to my family about it. And there was a, a couple of weeks ago when I was feeling really low. I stood in the queue at Costa and the Christmas music was playing. And I just wanted to cry because I was like, I am not merry. I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling great. Um, and this music is the complete antithesis of how I feel. And so I think that kind of expectation and that comparison, it's okay to not be okay. And I know that that, that gets really banded around now but 
it's true. You know, if you're not feeling merry, you, you don't have to be, but talk about it, you know? Yeah, exactly that. Talk about it, you know, name your feelings, share your feelings is another really powerful one. The reason why things can build up so easily is that we, we feel like we shouldn't express how we're feeling. And actually that's a very healthy thing to do. You know, this time of year, I've even been talking to like colleagues of mine, we're all burnt out, you know, mm. just we're the one giving the advice on mental health and well-being does not mean that I've had to, you know, really rein things in this month and really slow down and, you know, take moments out. Cause similarly, I've been overwhelmed. I haven't always felt super merry. I think it's a very natural kind of reaction to have. So naming your feelings, being really honest with yourself and those around you and not, you know, you don't have to put on a brave face. Um, it's hard. So I think that's, you know, a really good kind of second tip is just to be really honest with yourself and know that even 10 years down the line, as we're saying, it may still be really freaking hard for other reasons. So no one is expecting you to sail through Christmas like everything's okay um, because life isn't isn't like that. Yeah, 100%. And I think there's a lot of feelings and there's a real view that you have to be a certain person when you're with when you're you're around people and when you're suffering with an eating disorder that need to be someone else or pretend that everything's okay that it can kind of hinder you sometimes because if you're not being truthful to how you feel and who you are around the people that care most about you that love you you're building up those barriers so it's harder to then reach out if you are struggling yeah so I asked whether there is any questions on, on Instagram and there was one that came through and it kind of said, I want to join in with the, the Christmas festivities. You know, I don't yeah. want to lose out, but the idea of kind of stocking fillers that like chocolate for breakfast um, scares me. So what would you say to that mm-hmm. person? Mm-hmm. Baby steps. I say baby steps, but also if you want to challenge yourself, know that the feelings of guilt and anxiety will be there but if you're willing to do it anyway then that's a really good first step so what I might say to someone and what I actually do with my clients is I get a lot of them kind of will actually say to me well you know it just all feels too much and it's like this and that and it's kind of we break it down because it's like well what's too much what are the things that you really feel like you're missing out on and it might be the Christmas dessert or it might be the celebrations at the family movie time or it might be the snacks that come around in between the meal there might be like real specifics that you think I really really don't want to miss out on that that year and make those your challenges you don't have to do it all you don't have to do everything but make the things that you really want to make a challenge do it and you know for example if it's around the uh, if you were sharing celebrations while watching a family meal if you're feeling really overwhelmed in that moment try and remember that food is just a part of the occasion so maybe after it's happened, when the guilt creeps in, write down, you know, what three things were really nice about that. I got to, you know, um, laugh with my sister or brother or mum on the sofa. I got to enjoy an hour with my family and actually join in properly to what they were doing. Um, the chocolate tasted really good and it didn't actually kill me, even though I thought it was going to turn me into a blue well and I would pop. So don't just let them thoughts fester and simmer away. If you can do it, that's your first step, but the, the negative thoughts are going to come in. So actually combating them with, well, what was good about that situation? And the way anxiety works, as I'm sure you'll know, is the more you do it, the better it will get. 
honestly, the more practice you put in and the more normalized you can make these situations, the better it will get. So maybe don't save it all for Christmas day. Maybe think about how on the days leading up to it, can I practice some more flexibility? Is that a hot chocolate in the afternoon with my mum or dad at home? Is that going to a Christmas market um, and sharing something with someone as a way in to try and ease myself into it? So really think about those things that you don't want to miss out on and make them a priority. Mm. I think it kind of takes it back to what is Christmas to you and your family, you know, because we do center around food a lot when it comes to Christmas, but in reality, it's, it is just another day. Um, I know when I first, when I was kind of with my family at Christmas, I keep thinking it's just, it's just a roast dinner. I'm just having a Sunday roast. And that helped me to kind of prepare for a little, a little bit more. Um, and you need to become the best pupil in the class in the subject of you. You need to know what is going to trigger you, what is going to challenge you, what you need to be wary of. And everybody's going to be different, no matter if you've got anorexia, bulimia, you know, everybody is going to be different on when it comes to it. Mm -hmm. So I think that deciding really what Christmas is to you and what what the bigger picture is to you as well will, will really help to make those decisions that you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. It re- it really is about the individual and how you want to remember that day and feel after it. Mm, yeah. Cause I, I mean, I've had a few bad Christmases. Um, I mean, being ill for nearly eight years, you yeah. can, you can imagine there's been some pretty crap ones. Um, and I think that when I was, when I was feeling most alone, that was when it was the hardest Um, And I think that looking back, I felt like I needed to be everything. So I needed to be everything for everyone. I needed to show everybody I was better. So I would almost overdo it. I wouldn't listen to my body. I wouldn't, you know, think about the fact that I was going to be uncomfortable if I ate too much. You know, it would end up in me making mistakes and having to kind of learn lessons. that were pretty ugly but you know in the grand scheme of things I guess if you do make a mistake you make a mistake you learn from it and you grow and it's not going to be the end of the world yeah exactly and I would say having some little kind of coping mechanisms and tools so um things like grounding techniques which are for example breathing you know, everyone, I know we breathe all the time, but we don't deep breathe. We don't belly breathe. So just sitting with yourself for five to 10 minutes, maybe you have to listen to guided meditation or some really loud rock music, whatever it is that works for you, you know, and breathing in for four and breathing out. Great. But slowing down your breath, engaging the parasympathetic nervous system and just kind of being with yourself for a minute, gathering yourself, especially in those moments in and around food where you might be feeling overwhelmed. Um, And another really useful thing, and this can be done mentally or with someone, is having some kind of safety statements and affirmations. So, for example, if they're for yourself, it might be along the lines of, I know that I'm having a really hard day, but I can do this, or this too shall pass, or 
even though the voice is really loud right now, I know that I deserve to enjoy and eat everything that's on offer. And it can even be with a family member that you have a safety word or a safety statement if you're getting too uncomfortable or overwhelmed. It might be that you need to say to them, I just need a time out or a minute with you to sit down and talk. So actually come up with some things throughout the day, um, just so you know that if panic sets in, you don't have to be alone and you're not going to be without anyone or anything to use to cope with that. That can feel a lot more reassuring. Mm, I love those. They're they're really good tips. Really good mm. tips. One thing that you mentioned then is like having someone that you trust. Because I guess Christmas Day looks completely different for so many people. Some people have a massive thing with all of their family and friends, and other people may have like quite a small Christmas Day with just their immediate family. How would you? advise someone who is nervous say if somebody is having it might not even be Christmas day but a huge Christmas they were going to see people that they may not have seen for ages and you know those comments come in you know you oh you look well you look healthy how would you deal with how would you how would you kind of talk to somebody about dealing with those statements so if possible and if you're lucky enough to i know it's not for everyone does but if you do have that kind of safe person or that person that can help you know kind of on board with you that day whether it's that you're sitting next to them at the table or that they check in with you every couple of hours or give your hand a squeeze into the table that can be golden for anyone going through it just to know there's someone there that has their back or gets it that can help divert a conversation for example if it comes up about weight or dieting or the amount of food you know, I, I do often think when I go out with um, groups of friends, sometimes the favorite topic is how full everyone is. And I just think oh, really, really doesn't matter. We, we are a society obsessed with what we eat and how full we are in our bodies. So, you know, if you haven't got someone to do the diverting for you and you feel strong enough, again, those safety statements can also be safety responses. So I often say to people, when you go into a job interview or you have a job, um, what I used to work in retail, you know, my statements were, would you like a bag for life? But if you're actually trying to manage this with someone that you think is going to mention your weight or your recovery or how much food you're eating, have safety responses such as, you know, just being really strong and saying, no, thank you for example, or saying, um, thank you so much for asking, but I'd really prefer not to talk about that or completely changing the conversation. If you feel strong enough, it might feel awkward for a moment, but honestly, you don't owe anyone anything when it comes to your mental health. You really don't. You have every right to leave the room or change the conversation or not get into it. Just like if someone brought up politics at the dinner table, you might not want to get that into that this year either. <laughs> and it can be, it can be the same for food in our bodies. You have that right. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a little bit like what you said earlier with boundaries, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, it's, it's okay to set yourself boundaries and, I think it's also really good to know that not everybody, not everybody is going to respect your boundaries. Some people will push it, um, but it's being prepared for that and accepting that their opinion or their, um, their, their decision to comment on something is not a reflection on you. Yeah. And I, I would recommend as well, you know, I was very lucky with my mum in the sense that she really wanted to understand everything I was going through, even when it was impossible, because eating disorders can be impossible. Um, if, if you have someone in your family that can advocate for you a little bit and say to, you know, the mean auntie or to anyone who might have the best intentions, it's just best to avoid 
a subject around weight or etc that can be really really helpful because we as a population don't know enough about eating disorders and mental health so people might say things like you look well or would you like some more roast potatoes because they just really want to make you feel welcome and you might want to poke them with your fork in the eye but but that that is could be them just trying to be nice so actually sometimes it's actually about um planning early and um, letting people know what it is you need um again i know it can feel awkward but it can save you a lot of hassle um and ill feelings throughout the day yeah what i think a moment of awkwardness pre-planning is worth so much more in the long run because otherwise you've got a day of feeling uncomfortable and isolated that's not good for anybody because people are going to pick up on it you know you're they're not going to enjoy their day because they'll know that they're making somebody uncomfortable that they don't know why until i was in treatment I had never even thought about the fact that, oh, you're looking really well, could be something that could make me feel so crap. Right, but, exactly. But it, but it became this statement that if somebody, I was dreaded, if somebody told me I looked healthy, I was like, oh my gosh, I put on weight, I must look really big. I'm, and your brain just goes for it. And, but people that have never experienced these disordered thoughts, that's a, a compliment. That's a compliment for them. Business name now, and that was also my dreaded phrase: "Was you look well?" Yeah, and it it is. I think being strong with your boundaries, if you can, whether it be internal or externally strong, you know, trying to be as strong as you can, but also accepting that if something upsets you, then that's okay too. Your your opinions and your feelings are valid, but trying to look at it from a, a place of you know these people, the, the, this person that is maybe talking to me they're not coming from a, a a mean place you know they're coming from a place of love and affection and care and try to remind yourself that you know it's not you versus the world absolutely yeah that that's so true and important kind of similar to what we've been talking about but some people find all the talk of food especially coming is exactly what you said at the beginning when you said you know we're in this complete extravagance phase at the moment where you turn on the tv and there's a christmas pudding here and mince pies there and there's chocolate for breakfast and you know all of these things and then come january 1st everybody's going to be on a diet everybody's going to be saying you know they've put too much weight on they've eaten too much i kind i kind of think they're like empty statements it's like when people talk about the weather now. People don't really talk about the weather. They just talk about how much they've eaten, what they ate last night, or how they feel about their food. What would you t- say to somebody who is perhaps finding the talk of food overwhelming? I think it's kind of coming back to, I think, first understanding. Because if you can understand, and I think this took me so long to actually know, when you've got that eating disorder part of your brain, no matter how big or small it may be, no matter how far along or deep you are in it, it's always going to distort things for you. So I remember spending years and years and years seriously offended by anything food related and anyone mentioning what they were eating or anything else because it just drove this horrible comparison with inside me. So I think it's also, it's, it is firstly just reminding yourself that when those big feelings come up, that food is quite a common topic to talk about. And it is a kind of thing that people use to leverage conversations, etc. So I guess it's reminding yourself that even though it might feel personal, it's probably not. 
Um, do change the conversation though, if you feel able. Again, you know, there's always going to be topics that come up that we would rather not talk about. And I think you don't have to engage in them. If you can be the one to actually change that conversation, that might even be better, especially when people are going into the kind of weight and diet barrage. Um, you know, I can give you some quite good statistics that you could either use to shut people up or for yourself, just to remind yourself. And that is, first of all, dieting behaviours only prevent before Christmas around 0.37 you know, kg of weight, which is like a can of beans before Christmas. So everyone who is going on a diet now, restricting themselves or is going to go doing that you know, later on, it really is a lot of pointless work to do to make yourself feel crap on the run up. And also on the flip side, the you know randomized studies tell us that on average, we gain something as a population like around 0.4 kilograms around the Christmas period, which is nothing. Um, so when those talks come up, you could also throw at them that 97% of diets fail, for example. Sometimes that can help, you know, just to make people realize that there is an, an alter argument or, you know, it is a bit pointless having these discussions. So don't be afraid to kind of get in there and basically give the opinion that you're really not interested in hearing about what they're eating now and not going to be eating in January yeah I totally agree and and those conversations are fine that I've I had to have a conversation with my boss my boss is really into his fitness absolutely fine but I think the problem is is because I've trained as a personal trainer and a Pilates teacher he assumes that I know everything so yeah. he asks for my opinion on this diet or cutting carbs and it's, it, it was really constant. And, it, and even though, you know, it's, it's been a long time since I've had to deal with these kind of conversations and they've made me feel uncomfortable, it still, it got to the point where it's just empty conversation to me and I'm not that interested. So I did have to say, look, you know, I, I, it's not really something I talk about, to be honest. I'm not really that fussed about it and if you you do what you want to do but I don't really want to talk about it and he completely respected my decision not to talk about it so often it's the dread of the conversation sometimes is worse than actually doing it yeah exactly because how many times do people go oh, well I'm going to force this conversation on you whatever the subject is you know yeah. you, usually people kind of take things on board so yeah if you can say that for yourself that can really help yeah exactly um, and don't invalidate their feelings when you do it. Just say, I completely, if you want to talk about this, that's fine. But for yeah. me, it's just not for me. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the way to go about it. I wanted to talk about a couple of handy, short little tips as well yeah. for the Christmas day itself. And, and one thing that I think is actually a really, that really helped me is surfing the urge. So whether it's the feeling of discomfort or if after, after you've had your meal, you're, you're struggling with feelings of wanting to purge, having something in place that you can do that can take your mind away from those mm -hmm. feelings of discomfort is something that I know really helped me. And instead of kind of sitting there feeling uncomfortable, seeing everybody else kind of tuck into the chocolates, either going for a little walk with family or playing a game or doing some coloring, something to take your mind away from it, I think is a really good thing to have in place on the day. 
Yeah, definitely. So all of those things, I would say any little kind of self-care or distractions, it could even be reading a book or watching a film. Other things I would say, um, going back to kind of grounding techniques is if you're feeling really panicky and maybe your breath is just kind of going off on one, doing like a body scan. So um, five things that you can see, four things that you can smell, three things you can touch, two things you can hear, and one thing you can taste, for example, is a good one that you can try. Um, and just, again, naming the feeling, letting someone know how you're feeling, you know, getting them to sit with you while you're past, going outside for a breath of fresh air, anything that feels calming for you. You might need to get in the bath or the shower, and that's okay too, if you just need some, you know, water running over your body or whatever it is. Um, anything that makes you feel soothed, so think about self-soothing, um, which is the opposite to those kind of destructive eating disorder behaviors that we see people fall into. Anything you can do to self-soothe that's not harming you or anything or anyone else is a really good thing to practice in any of those moments, no matter how weird and wonderful they are. Writing as well, you know, writing your feelings down. Um, exactly, yeah. Eating disorders like to be secret and they don't yeah. want you to talk about them. So just whether you're you're getting it out of your body by writing or talking um, or going, having, going upstairs in your room, putting your music on really loud and just singing and dancing for 20 okay. minutes just to release that. Because as a bulimic, often that feeling of feeling full can really start to build up in you physically. So you can feel hot and tense and tight and stressed. And having that release, instead of it being through purging, finding that release elsewhere in a healthier way, just like you've said, um, is something that is really, really, really key. And, and that's not just at Christmas. That's obviously yeah, throughout. And all of these techniques that we're talking about can be uh, displayed as throughout the year. Um, but it's just good to kind of bring them to light, I think. Definitely around this time of year. Yeah. How do you feel about the, how do you feel about January? What, what are your January thoughts? Well, how I feel about January is that this year I'm going away for half of it. <laughs> Never done before, but I'm very excited too. I think January is a really difficult month. I think before we go into it, we're all be, always being told about Blue Monday. I think there can be a lot of, you know, real heavy back to school feelings, kind of anxiety and sickness, sort of, you know, in the tummy and just feeling really worried. And I do think it is a lot to do with this kind of, you know, it, it, people just feel low after all the celebration, perhaps. Some people might be really relieved, but, you know, most people I talk to, I think there is a bit of a, like, oh, you know, back to school feeling, got to get back to work. And, you know, for many people in recovery, I imagine that's dealing with a lot of feelings of, well, maybe I have been more flexible or I have, you know, let go. And I do that with quotation marks because it's really not, it's really just living your life. But I'm sure a lot of anxieties are coming up. So I would really think about upping the self-care in January. Um, and by that, I by all means do mean things like nails and having a bath. But I also mean things like being really wary of your time on social media um, and maybe thinking about what's the relationship I want to have with images and words that I'm taking in now. Um, maybe I need to cut back on certain feeds and pages because it's going to be, you know, diet centric and everyone's going to be going back to the gym and talking about what they're not eating. So think about, you know, pre-planning that and not setting yourself up for a fall when it comes to all of that talk um, at that time of year. And I think just really easing yourself back into it um wherever whatever that means for you and remembering that 
just because it's you know back to work or back to school or back to you know the graft of whatever it is recovery just just really take things one day at a time um and just be really you know mindful of of your well-being throughout that month because yeah it's a big month of diet talk and you know getting back into the gym and it can be yeah very very triggering for people what you said about um social media was literally uh, the i've written very few things down but that was like one of it one of them it's like that social media cull and Mm. it's because it we see it on our tvs enough um you know we see it on billboards and there and it's not so much a case of you know being blinkered but i think that you choose to cons- what you what is on your phone is what you choose to con- consume yeah, most of the time responsibility for sure yeah and i think that having making sure that you are following people on whether it be instagram um or on facebook having people that make you feel good and you know, you don't get the January comparisonitis. It's that real finding, finding people that make you feel good. Definitely. I mean, the other thing that we see on January 1st is literally this kind of barrage of new year, new me, hard and fast goals. And it's like, I remember last year being at my friend's house and she's really contributed to my sense of being able to chill out basically. And it was a really like a bit of an F you to all that. Like, oh my God, like I'm literally the same person I was yesterday. If if that feels overwhelming for me, I don't have to set any new goals or be anything by the next month. I'm I'm all right where I am. So we're really wary about getting caught up in that storm because lots of brands and gyms and companies are gonna be doing that to profit off your self-worth. So be super aware of that and know that literally you are the same person as you were on the 31st. And you can be doing, if you're happy with where you are and you're doing what you can, that's okay. You don't need to go into doing any extremities at all mm. in January. Yeah, exactly. I think it's knowing, it's knowing who you are and, and being okay in that space. Like I, one of the big things that I kind of believe is that you can never hate yourself into a body that you love. No, um, I, I often say you can never hate yourself healthy. Yeah, exactly. So you can't, any any kind of negative negativity or negative drive to behave or driven behavior that isn't going to you're not going to suddenly wake up one day at the end of january after going through you know a grueling routine in your in the gym and in in the kitchen turning up and going oh it's january 31st and suddenly i'm the person i've always wanted to be um you know it's it's accepting who you are right in this moment and if you want to make small changes you know to uh, to give yourself small goals there's nothing wrong with that but not putting your entire happiness on the outcome of those goals I think is a really important point absolutely yeah do you do are you do you go big at new year or are you more of a chilled out kind of <laughs> I haven't in a long time and this year it's literally I'll have just got back from Ireland and I'm going to the Philippines on the 10th so um no, I, I mean, I'm not really a go big or go, I'm, I'm a go home. Yeah. <laughs> Last year we were in the Isle of Wight with my friend and that was lovely. Um, but no, very chilled out. Um, again, I think it's, you know, if you want to do something, absolutely go for it. But, you know, it's just the day and an evening. Mm. What about you? Uh, we normally have my stepson. So the last couple of years has been very chilled, um, yeah. which is lovely. And actually this Christmas is my first year of not drinking 
So sure. I'm on a sober year this year. Might be longer, not sure. I'm not putting any definitives on it. But actually, that's something that before we finish, I think we should slightly touch on because I know in the past, over Christmas, in order to cope with my feelings, I've definitely drunk more than I should have. So I think yeah. sometimes we think, oh, I'll just drink and then I won't care. But actually, when you drink and you get drunk, your inhibition's lower and you're more likely to think, fuck it, and, and carry out those, those kind of negative or disordered behaviors. Definitely. So I'd probably say to if anyone's listening or anybody that's supporting somebody, maybe just not keep an eye on it or, you know, monitor yourself, but just be aware. Yeah, there's, I would definitely be up Yeah, there's, there's kind of, there's nothing wrong with having a drink, um, but maybe don't get plastered because I've definitely done that some Christmases and it doesn't end well. well yeah, the beer fear the next day will... Um will contribute massively to your anxiety. I think it's kind of like anything. It's, you know, we're all human beings and we all take comfort in things sometimes that give us only momentary belief, uh, relief rather. But if you're trying to block or manage what's really going on for you, which is feeling as of discomfort and being uncomfortable, then they're not going to go away just by doing that. So absolutely. I think there, are, there are just much better ways you can take care of yourself around the Christmas period that don't involve um not remembering the day yeah exactly so i think i mean that's that's pretty much even though we've mainly spoken about how to deal with christmas and new year if mm-hmm. you have an eating disorder i think these tips are quite good for people to know of if you are in the in in the case of supporting somebody who might be struggling with their relationship with food is there any anything additionally you'd probably you'd, you'd add to that yeah, I think it would be that, you know, because it's such a hard time of year if you're in recovery, it can feel really heightened. And I think it's just holding on to the fact that it doesn't last forever. It won't last forever. You know, a, a day in recovery is never going to be as bad as, you know, a lifetime of an eating disorder, no matter how painful or uncomfortable it might feel. And that might start to feel quite unbearable about this time of year. But, you know, Christmas is just one day. Um, and you have, you know, the rest of your life to try and to keep fighting and, and keep working on moving away from this. So just think about every step that you take forward, every challenge that you get through on that day or around that day is a step forward in your recovery overall it means that the Christmas next year will be easier. And then one after that will be easier if you can just keep plugging away at, at that recovery process and, you know, just just try not to beat yourself up in the meantime. I really like that. It's it's so true as well because if if what if the Christmas doesn't go perfectly or how you planned, you've got so many more chances. You know, as long as you keep going, you've still got all those Christmases yeah. in the future to 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 get to get through. So, where can people find you? Give us yeah. a little bit. Are you doing anything in the new year that we're we should keep yeah. an eye out for? I am actually. Um, definitely. So on Instagram, it's feeling well, which is uh, probably in the show notes, but it's with three L's at the end. And my name begins with a PH. So, um, if you're looking at me on Instagram, my, um, website is feelingwell.com. And yes, so on January 29th, I have an event actually, if you're listening to this now, um, and it's called, it's redefining recovery, the experience. So essentially my program will be launching again at the end of January beginning of February which is really exciting um when it's where I take 
through a group of women who um, want to really, you know, kick diet culture in its ass, feel better about their bodies and life overall. So that event is taking you through the key pillars of uh, Redefine and Recovered You, which is food, mind and body image. And you get to experience um, kind of my key exercises and tools for doing that. So they are two big things to look out for um, in January time. So the new program and that event. And I'm sure by the time we get to January, there'll be lots of other things. But um, yeah, both of those things will be great, especially if you're feeling a bit rubbish or a bit low at that time of year, then definitely check them out. Amazing. I'll um I'll pop all of those in my show notes. If if you are interested in reading more about somebody um, who is dealing with an eating disorder, for those of you who either feel like maybe they're alone or you want to be able to support somebody who's currently going through a, a hard time, my book's available on Amazon. I'm one sale away at present of it being one 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 sales, which is quite good for a self-published author, I think. Um, um be a nice so, present for someone who wants to understand more about eating disorders yes yeah exactly so head over there i'm going to put all the links in the show notes for your program and your instagram as well so people can find you but tell me your best worst christmas joke oh god <laughs> my best worst christmas joke yeah like the the you know the one that you're like uh everybody goes uh after they hear it I mean, I am just like the biggest like cheese ball. I, I it, more of a joke is just could it be probably the fact that for Christmas, Belle has a Christmas jumper, um, <gasps> Santa Claus, and my I have a baby brother Jack has a reindeer one. So I think the running joke throughout the day is just going to be that Santa and his reindeers. And my partner does not enjoy the fact that I dress our dog up in a Christmas jumper. We even did a photo shoot in it. Um, <laughs> that's probably it for the year because I find it amazing and endearing, but it absolutely drives him bonkers. <laughs> so that is yeah. amazing. That's See, that's Dexter's cool. too big for Christmas jumpers. All the ones we found. Oh, I bought oh. him a full-on reindeer suit, like reindeer thing. Got an XL from Sainsbury's. Oh, see, I got an XL from Tails, and it's way oh. too small. So we just oh, got him oh, like a nice green number instead. Cute, nice. Um, yeah, but uh, just the fact that I'll be driving my uh, partner mad with dressing my dog up, even though I think it's amazing. That is good. Um, I'm going to finish off with a little. What do you call Father Christmas? In on the beach. Oh, I don't know. Sandy claws. Oh. <laughs> Very good. See what I mean? Best worst joke. Um, thank you so much for the time, your time today. Um, it's been amazing talking to you. Awesome. And um, I hope that you guys listening have really taken something from this conversation. If you want to reach out, you can get in touch with Laura on Instagram or um, with myself on Instagram. The links are in the notes. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. This is my last podcast episode before Christmas, actually. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, so Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, (laughs) And thank you so much for listening throughout the whole of the year, guys. And I really am looking forward to 2020. Hopefully we'll get Laura back one time as well because I feel like there's so much more we can chat about. But yeah, for now, that is us for the year. So thank you very much, Laura. Thank you. See you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.